Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome back to No More Silos. My name is Erica Santiago and I am super excited that you have decided to listen in again. This is episode two and today, uh, because it's episode two, I figured I'd start in Acts chapter two. But before we get to Acts chapter two, I wanted to share something uh, and I think I'm going to do this at the beginning of a lot of our episodes where I guess we're when it makes sense, of course, but I want to do a little Bible study basics. And what I mean by that is if you're new to studying the Bible or you've been studying the Bible for a while, you may or may not be aware of some of the resources or some definitions that are out there. And so today I am going to share a little bit about the acronym SOAP, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer as a Bible study method. Some of you may already be familiar with that, but then I also want to give you like five minutes in seminary, and we're going to define the words exegesis and eisegesis so that when we look at Acts chapter 2, we can take advantage of having a little bit more insight and we know what our starting point should be and what kind of questions we should be asking. Uh, as we deep dive into our study. And from a cultural standpoint, I do also want to share with you a little bit about uh, Bible translation and what's involved in biblical translation. Not so much teaching you what's involved in it, but just the fact that it exists. For example, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And so from that standpoint, I think it's important that we address that. So thank you so much for joining me today for episode two uh, here on No More Silos as we begin a conversation talking through the cultural Christian uh, context of Acts chapter two and understanding who is my neighbor and how should we be responding to the gospel anyway. So thanks for joining me. Let's get going. One of the things that's come up quite a bit in Bible study recently is a question about, are we all working from the same set of definitions? I mean, seriously, are we all, when we hear things on the news, you know, some people hear law and order and other people hear law and order and they have two completely different definitions. Uh, Some people hear gospel, other people hear gospel, different set of definitions. What I want to do through uh, this podcast is really to start to talk through some of that, break down those barriers, connect those dots. And so today I want to start with Bible translation. And, And that sounds pretty scary, but really it's not. The Bible wasn't written in English. I know, maybe a newsflash for some of us, but it wasn't. It's not written in English. So when someone says, oh, that's not biblical or you're not Uh, following exactly what the Bible says. Well, the Bible was translated from Greek and Hebrew. Um, It is an ancient piece of literature. It's an ancient document that we hold as our holy scriptures, as Christians, as believers. But when you, in the first century church, the first century Christians, the first people who were followers of Jesus, the only scriptures they had were the Jewish scriptures, if they had those. And so, Today we're going to talk through Acts chapter 2, the gospel response, and and identify that audience. But when we talk about Bible translation, and you can Google this, and actually I would say Google images because you'll get nice pretty pictures uh, that explain this, and I'll share this in in the show notes. When we talk about Bible translation, what we're really talking about is 
translating to our language, whatever your language happens to be, English, Spanish, French, whatever, um, from the original Hebrew, if it's the Old Testament, and from the original Koine Greek, if it's the New Testament. And just like you have Hebrew uh, speakers today, many of them may not be speaking the ancient Hebrew. It's, you know, languages grow, they're dynamic, they, they modify. Our English language, even in our own lifetime, has modified, has grown. New words are added to the dictionary every day. The King James Version or the King James translation of the Bible is a version that's over 400 years ago. It was uh, produced in 1611. It was a word-for-word translation from the Greek and the Hebrew, the best copies that they had, the manuscripts that they, they had available at the time. And so when we look at the New Testament, we're looking at the Koine Greek. Well, people in Greece don't speak Koine Greek anymore. Um, they s- speak Greek, but it, it's, it's, it's grown, it's evolved as a language. And so just the same way that we don't speak uh, Shakespearean English anymore, um, we don't really understand it uh, in the general population of English speakers, it's kind of the same thing when it comes to Hebrew and Greek. And so many of us, when we go to Bible college or, or seminary, you have to take a Hebrew class, you have to take a Greek class so that you can learn those languages, learn to read them, not necessarily speak, but to be able to read the original text for yourself. So when it comes to Bible translation, you have three categories. You have on one end, word for word, a formal translation. It takes that word in Hebrew or Greek, and it finds its equivalent English word to translate to. And so the uh, versions or the translations you may be familiar with are the Amplified and the English Standard Version and, of course, the King James and New King James. Those are all considered word for word. In the middle, there's the thought for thought. It's a dynamic. It's used for Bible study and personal development, but the versions that you may be familiar with would be the New international version, the NIV that came out in the 70s, or the NLT, uh, the New Living Translation, which is what I usually read from my study Bibles in uh, NLT, New Living Translation, and that's what I use. And then on the other far end of the spectrum is the full-on paraphrase. And so you may be familiar with the Message Bible. And the Message Bible was translated, I think, in the 60s by Eugene Peterson. And his whole point in writing a new translation was simply that the vernacular, the people he was doing Bible study with, it just wasn't connecting with the King James Version, the therefores and thou arts and all of that Shakespearean poetry, which I think is beautiful, but I was an English major in college. So don't count my my view on that one. But it's a beautiful work of art and, and holy scripture, and it just flows. But when you're doing a Bible study and you're trying to help folks understand and connect with God and understand who God's character and understand the gospel and, and Jesus and why he came and why he died for us and how he was resurrected, something gets lost in the 400-year-old King James translation for someone who is new, it's new information. So the message version is a great resource. And the cool thing is, is that now because of technology, you have access to all of these translations on your Bible app. Just select the verse and chapter you're looking at, and then you can change. So one of the other ways that 
a lot of times that we learn to study the Bible is the SOAP method. And this is very popular. I'm a big fan of the SOAP method, especially when you consider you can jump around through your different Bible translations to really kind of connect with what's there in Scripture. Of course, all of this is grounded on believing that that the Bible is the Holy Scripture, that it is the Word of God, um, and not just a lovely book of suggestions. But that part aside, if you believe that the Bible was written for you as the Holy Word of God, that it was uh, breathed through the Holy Spirit to the writers, the human writers who, who wrote it all down, then cool, we're on the same page, and all of this is going to make sense. So the SOAP method. SOAP is actually an acronym. It is uh, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So if you're reading Scripture, it helps to jump around from different translations uh, so that you can make observations that take into consideration that there may have been more than one way to say that phrase from the Greek or Hebrew in English. And then there's application, how does this apply to me in my life, and then prayer, praying to God to help me live out the gospel, live out this, uh, this application. So that's, that's my take on Bible translation, that's my take on SOAP. The other thing that I wanted to share with you guys, or the other two words that I think are relevant in sharing, are the words exegesis and eisegesis. So let me start with exegesis. And the definitions that I'm sharing with you come right out of theopedia.com. It's an online dictionary for theology terms. And consider this your uh, five minutes in seminary for the week. So what is exegesis? Exegesis is a lot like soap. Soap is a nice way to kind of put it. But exegesis is a systematic process by which a person arrives at a reasonable and coherent sense of the meaning and message of a biblical passage. So what did it mean to the original audience? Ideally, an understanding of the original text, the Greek and the Hebrew, is required. In the process of exegesis, a passage must be viewed in its historical and grammatical context with its purpose, uh, with its time of writing, taken into account. And this is often accommodated by asking a few questions about what I'm looking at. Now, if you're working out of a study Bible, you may have the first page of that book that may include information about who the author is and when it was written and some key passages, maybe even an outline. And that's great. But if you've got the free Bible that was handed out uh, to you, um, a lot of times those Bibles don't have all of that information. And so you have to use online resources Uh, to find out the rest of the information. Uh, Blue Letter Bible is a great resource. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So here are the questions for exegesis. If I'm exegeting this text, if I'm really trying to deep dive into it, I want to know who wrote the text, who is the intended readership. I also want to know what is the context of the text. How does it fit in the author's larger thought process, the purpose for writing, or their argument in the chapter and book where it resides? Is the choice of words or wording or word order significant in this particular passage? Why was the text written? Was it written to correct or encourage or explain or just document some historical activity? And then finally, when was the text written? Uh, Was it written right after uh, Jesus was resurrected? Was it written 50 years later? Was it written 300 years, 500 years before he was even born? All of that matters when we look at the bigger scheme of things, when we look at the Bible as a whole, when we take the story of God as a complete whole. 
And so that is exegesis. The other term that I wanted to share with you is eisegesis. Eisegesis is the act of imposing meaning onto a text, and it's often described in the term of reading into the text rather than out of it. And therefore, it's the opposite of exegesis. Now, I usually get a few chuckles in Bible study when I share this term, eisegesis, because many of us didn't know the term existed, but we knew it existed. You know what I mean? It, it was something that you're sitting there going, eh, I'm not sure that's what the text says. When you read the scripture, you hear someone quoted or you see it as a meme on Facebook. So I think it, it matters that we have a word for it. And yes, there is a word for it. So eisegesis reading into the text rather than out of it. Instead of asking all those questions that we uh, ask from exegesis, like when was it written, why was it written, who was it written for, eisegesis asks us to forget all of that and we're just going to make something up. So that is your short entry into seminary for today. Uh, soap, exegesis, eisegesis, and Bible translation. I really, really, really hope that that helps. In every episode uh, going forward, we will include some little tidbit about how to study your Bible or how to grow as we study our Bibles. And then, so that's what I wanted to share with you today. And all of that is relevant when we look at cultural Christianity and Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, the question that comes to my mind is, who is my neighbor? Because Right now, we're in an environment where we are asking ourselves, are we actually sharing the gospel or are we sharing an out-of-context meme on social media? What did Jesus actually tell us to do? Who's listening? Uh, from an exegetical standpoint, who was originally listening and who's listening now? And the challenge that I think we run into today, uh, both as, as Christians or culturally Christian, is that sharing the gospel shouldn't be framed as a part of the culture war. We share the gospel through relationships. We share it with empathy as we demonstrate loving our neighbors. Jesus said, you will know who my disciples are by how they love. And so the culture war to me implies that I'm here to win an argument and not here to love you. I don't want to be at war with my neighbor. I don't want to be at, uh, I want to start a war with my neighbor. And spiritual warfare isn't really about fighting with my neighbors. It's, that's not what Jesus said for us to do. Spiritual warfare has to do with the enemies of God. And so if you're not looking at me as an enemy of God, but as someone that I want to share hope with, that I want to let them know that you're seen, that Jesus loves you, then culture war is probably not the best way to frame that. And so when we think about how we're sharing the gospel, I have two examples that I often turn to. One is found in Acts chapter 2. The other one is found in Acts chapter 17. And so our next episode will be about that. And both of them, I look at the response to the gospel, and both I look at how the gospel is presented to the audience because of what their prior knowledge is. So here's the thing. If we're just posting random memes on social media, are we really sharing the gospel? If the meme is not about Jesus, are we even sharing the gospel? Or are we spending too much time debating our political and economic systems that, and not really encouraging one another to love our neighbors? And so I don't want to sound judgmental. I don't want to sound unfriendly. And I keep that in mind when I think of how I'm sharing 
the gospel. Uh, another way to say it is, do I want to be Christ-like or do I want to be biblical? So why we study scripture, why we study the Bible, the reason that this podcast looks at both the historical context and the cultural context of things, as well as our scriptural context from a spiritual standpoint, this is why all of this matters. Um, No More Silos is breaking down that barrier that we often put ourselves in. So I recommend videos on the Bible Project as a starting point also in I guess I'm just really concerned about how we as Christians are so overwhelmed with cultural influences that we end up misrepresenting the gospel because we don't really know what it is or how to share it. And or we're just not operating with the same set of definitions. And that's why understanding what eisegesis and exegesis are uh, as a starting point of defining terms, our Bible study basics, if you will. So let's start today by talking about Acts chapter 2 with all of that that we just discussed in mind. Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with the passage, but even if you're not, it's a short passage uh, in the New Testament. Luke is the author. Luke was a physician. He was someone who wrote a gospel account. He did that as if he were uh, from a journalistic approach. He asked a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of questions to get the answers that he needed to be able to share the the gospel of Jesus in its in its fullness um, as well as he could. And Acts chapter 2 gives us a presentation of Peter and the rest of the apostles, rest of the crew, talking to or preaching and sharing the gospel at the time of a major festival in Jerusalem. And so the question then becomes, why were all those people gathered in the first place? They were there for a major festival. Uh, But I want to first draw your attention to who was in the audience uh, before we talk about why they were there. And then we'll talk about how they reacted to the gospel. What was their reaction? Because I think maybe that might need to be our reaction too. You see, if you're a cultural Christian, uh, or you know someone who's a cultural Christian, not you, could be the person sitting next to you, um, but you are already aware of the Bible. Maybe you're already aware of Jesus. Maybe you're already familiar with God. And that's the group that Peter's talking to. That's his audience. He's preaching to the choir, uh, as we say. He's talking to a group that already knows about God. So let's identify those, uh, those three groups that are in the audience in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking to God-fearing Jews. These are people who are from every nation under heaven, is what it says there. And then there's a list. And I really want to encourage you to take some time to look up each of these groups of people on the, on the internet because it answers the question, who is my neighbor? Uh, we see people made in the image of God, but also we see that they're coming from all different parts of the world. So these God-fearing Jewish people are people from uh, the described here by Luke as the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, and then it says parenthetically, including Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And so there's this group of people that Luke identifies and are several groups of people, rather, that he identifies from all over the known world. 
And they're all there for the big festival of Pentecost. And then Peter talks to, he says, my fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. So he's calling out to, in his message, as he's standing there, culturally and ethnically, and he's saying, hey, y'all who are locals, y'all who are here anyway, all of you who've been here for the last few months and have seen all of this go down, all of this stuff happen with Jesus, and that's who, I want to remind you of what you've seen, the the list of God-fearing Jews from all over the known world, these are people who just got here this weekend for the festival, so maybe they haven't heard about what happened, I'm about to tell you. And then the third group is fellow Israelites. He talks to his audience from the context of the Roman Empire, but he invokes nationalism. Like, hey, we are the people who were looking for a new king, you know, from from the lineage of King David. And he talks about that in this chapter. And I encourage you definitely to, even if you have to hit pause right now, go ahead and read it so that you can see all of this. But even if you read it after, um, that's okay too. So, But I definitely, definitely want you to take some time later to look up the different groups of people. Who were they? How were they connected to Judaism? Look at a map. Find out how where these places are today. What are their locations called now? And what do we know about them based on current events? Um, so it's, the history matters. But let me back up for a second. Why were all these people here? Why was everybody out in the street that day? Well, they're there for a big festival. Um, They were there for a big festival. It's called Pentecost. Now, a simple answer to that, and you can look this up on Wikipedia, is that it marks the 50 days after Jesus' resurrection and receiving of the Holy Spirit for the disciples. But that's why we as Christians celebrate Pentecost. The actual answer is that it's a Jewish holiday. See, the temple was in Jerusalem, so any major holidays, any major festivals, any major events uh, in the Jewish world at that time all happened or had a connection to the temple. And because of that, people would travel from all over the world, like people come to Atlanta for Comic-Con, or people go to Mecca for uh, as, as, as Muslims. Uh, so it's a pilgrimage. It's a big deal, but it's both cultural and it's religious. So you have a, people, all sorts of people. You have people who are culturally Jewish, people who converted to Judaism, people who are ethnically Jewish. They're all there in Jerusalem. And then you have the folks who are, um, who are nationalistic in the sense that they're really not happy that Rome is in charge. And those are your fellow Israelites. So you have all these people there for Pentecost. Um, As a Christian holiday, it's celebrated around the world. The traditions have developed over the last uh, 2,000 years. But it's worth pointing out that not every Christian tradition or denomination makes a really big deal out of it. So that's not something that we've consistently celebrated as Christians, as believers. And so I think that's relevant, too, when we think of how we interpret or biblical interpretation when it comes to Acts chapter 2. Because most of the time we focus on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and how Peter and the other believers were able to communicate in all these various languages to speak to the people who were in who were there from out of town. And so all of that all of that matters. And it matters um, because it's a huge festival. Um, and for, as a Jewish holiday it's 50 days after Passover, and so if you're familiar with the 
last week of Jesus's earthly um, ministry uh, before he was crucified, that takes place during the Passover festival. And so Jerusalem is once again um, crowded then. And so here we are 50 days later. And we're about two weeks after Jesus has ascended to heaven. So when we talk about our audience, looking at Acts chapter 2, Peter's audience is made up of people who were already familiar with the God of Israel and the Exodus story and King David as a shared historical and cultural and religious event. Not only that, but he's talking to people who literally witnessed Jesus' teaching and resurrection because those are the locals in Jerusalem. Those are the people who saw what happened to Jesus. And now here's Peter and his crew asking them, uh, by the time we get to verse 29 in Acts chapter 2, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. So Peter is talking to his audience. He's preaching to the choir. He's talking to them about King David because he knows that they know who he's talking about. But in our modern context, in 2020, we can't always assume that someone knows the story of Jesus, that they're familiar with Moses and the Exodus. Uh, They may have seen Prince of Egypt, um, the cartoon, but they really might not be familiar with King David and what all of that significance is. And so it's important to, when we are talking to someone to share the gospel, we have to ask a whole lot of questions. Just like we're uh, the exegesis questions, we've got to ask a bunch of questions to find out what do you already know about this God of Israel. And if you don't know anything, that's fine. Let me share what who God is for me, and then I can point to you, point you in the right direction of what the rest of the gospel story is. And so Peter talks about how Jesus was uh, he taught that he was the Messiah that was promised uh, that in what we call the Old Testament, how God raised him from the dead, and they're all witnesses, like literally witnesses, and uh, now he's with God in heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what it is allowing them to speak to everyone there in their native language uh, so that he, they hear what they need to hear from God in that moment. And so Luke continues writing. He observes that the audience is not only made up of people all over the world, but the reason he, he's, he's sharing that is to let us know who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is all of these people. So when Jesus said, you will know my disciples by how they love, um, that and love your neighbor as yourself, Peter is preaching to this audience in, that is made up of a whole bunch of different people. And that matters uh, because all of those different people, all of us matter to God. And that Jesus, and he's sharing how Jesus died for our sins, he, that he was resurrected on the third day. This is what makes Jesus different than all the other teachers that came before him and even after him, was the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. Nobody else can, lay, can make that claim. And so as we're, as we're reading, and I'm reading for the New Living Translation, jump down with me to verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replies, 
Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continues to preaching, it says, and um, and 3,000 people believed, and they were baptized, and they were added to the church that day. And what is the response of this audience, this audience of people who already had some kind of a clue about who God is. They're now hearing the next part of what happens, and that is that the Messiah has come, and, uh, and, and to make him Lord of their lives. What do they do with that information? Well, verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so what they do is they build a community. The believers repented, they received the Holy Spirit, they were baptized, they shared all their stuff, they shared their meals with great joy and with generosity. Are we missing the point of the gospel today when we argue or debate over theological issues? I mean, if we dial back to talking about what is exegesis and what is eisegesis, are we spending too much time not asking the right questions? Are we missing the point of the gospel today, the hope um, of the gospel, the, the community, the connection, the love, because we are not putting our identity, our cultural identity, um, because we are putting Jesus ahead of our cultural identity? Are we missing the point because we are stuck on our national identity instead of Jesus? People are really hurting and desperately need to hear a message of hope. And so here on No No More Silos, we want to help you help others share that message, uh, sharing that message of hope, because people need to feel seen and loved. When Peter rattles off or when Luke rattles off, who is in the audience, that there's people from all over the known world, we're seen. We're all made in the image of God, and we all need to hear the gospel. The people that we know that are our neighbors, they don't really need to he- need us debating about critical race theory or whether or not we really need the church building in order to be the church. We're supposed to be loving one another. And I'm not saying that that critical race theory is not important or that church buildings are not important. What I'm saying is that from a cultural Christian standpoint, cultural Christianity, we are missing the point of the gospel, the big picture. We have to ask questions. Jesus asked questions. Uh, Jesus encouraged asking questions. Now that we have looked at, in Acts chapter 2, the gospel message that Peter shared. And again, I encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter. The early church was taught the gospel. And we see that throughout the New Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we've got to look at it through the lens of the New Testament. We can't just throw the Old, throw Old Testament verses out there on, on social media memes because the people listening may not be familiar with it. You may not be preaching to the choir. And so you come off uh, unfriendly, quite frankly. So we've learned about SOAP, we've, the SOAP methodology for Bible study. We've learned about exegesis and eisegesis. Uh, We talked about Bible translation. 
So I definitely want to encourage you to read Acts chapter 2 in both the Message Translation, the New Living Translation, King James, Amplified. Read it four different times if you need to. Look at the gospel response. Look at who is my neighbor, who's in the audience. And then when you are talking to someone about the gospel and you're sharing the gospel, share with them the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was resurrected on the third day, and that a whole bunch of people literally witnessed this. There's no way this would have lasted the last 2,000 years um, as a faith for people to hear the gospel if it wasn't true. And you don't really need the Bible to do that. You can start there, but you can just focus in that chapter and share that. And like I said, next week we're going to talk about Acts chapter 17 in a different way, a different uh scenario of looking at the audience uh, because in Paul's speech to the council in Acts 17 uh, he shares the gospel with a group that is unfamiliar with the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob who's unfamiliar with uh, with Judaism or with uh, with the God of the Bible and so the way that he does that is he clearly binge watched all the Marvel series movies and uh, he was able to share the gospel. And that's what we'll be talking about next time on No More Silos how binge watching Marvel movies can help you share the gospel. It'll be fun, uh, I hope. And <laughs> we'll share some more uh, theology terms to help you with your go deeper with your Bible study. Hey, thank you so much for joining me today on No More Silos. My name is Erica. I'll update the show notes at ericasantiago.com to include a couple of mobile apps that you can use to share the gospel with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Uh, one is called Three Circles. The other one is called The Story. And I'll probably keep talking about both of these on future episodes because I just think it's really neat that we have the technology today to share the gospel easily. Thanks so much for joining me today here on No More Silos. My name is Erica. You can catch the show notes again at ericasantiago.com. And I hope that you'll subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts and share this episode with your friends and have a conversation about what you see in Acts chapter 2. I look forward to speaking with you all again very soon.